So I have the privilege this morning of preaching the second servant sermon. Sylvia just sang the first one. And, and Sylvia, you have to promise to come back and be with us again. We really, that was just wonderful. That was wonderful. That was wonderful. Hope you got your bracelet. We really do need to pray for the youth as they're going on this trip. Some bracelets are still left in the front. I'm thinking this is dangerous. If I get carried away, I might start walking on them. I don't want to do that. I'm going to try to back up and, and not do it. But we do need to pray for our youth. Great things are going to happen this week. Lives are going to be changed this week. So just want to encourage you. Do be praying. Now, we've been on a journey for the number of weeks talking about spiritual warfare. We've been digging into Ephesians 6. We're going to do that some more today. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about truth. There is such a thing as truth. It's not just a matter of what's my truth. There is truth. Preeminently, Jesus Christ is the truth. And we talked last week about righteousness, that breastplate of righteousness that protects us. It's not a breastplate that we take off and start beating people with. That's not righteousness. That's self-righteousness. But righteousness is important. Today, the gospel. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. If we're going to engage in this spiritual warfare, we're going to have to speak. And what we have to say is the gospel. Look what Paul says. We'll start in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's interesting, in this warfare, we have to bring to bear the gospel of peace. That's one of the paradoxes of the Christian life. If you want to be great as a Christian, you must be a servant of all. If you want to live, you must die to yourself. If you want to engage in battle against the forces of darkness, you must speak the good news of peace. Now, I'm talking about speaking the gospel. Not everyone interprets this phrase that Paul uses in that way. Many people, and listen, they may be right, understand Paul to be saying something different. That is, this readiness, as we have our feet shod, this readiness is the ability to take a firm stand. Roman soldiers would have sandals with hobnails on the bottom that would help them get a grip on the ground so that they wouldn't slip and fall. And so the, some people think that what Paul is saying is that you need your feet firmly planted 
in the gospel of peace. That is, knowing you're right with God, having the peace of God in your heart, so that when you're in the midst of battle, you're not going to be, you're not going to be panicked. You're going to know that God is with you. That could be true. Certainly, that fits the whole theme of this passage, that we must stand. But I actually think Paul has something else in mind. He's clearly referring to a passage in Isaiah chapter 52. If you'd go ahead and put that verse up for me, please. Isaiah says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings and proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Paul's drawing on that passage, I think. So when he talks about the readiness provided by the gospel of peace, what I think he's saying is we need to be ready to speak this gospel of peace. In the midst of this war, that's what we speak. That's the message that we have. Now, I want to talk about how we do that, how each of us can do that. We all live in different settings. We have different demands. We, we, have, we have people with whom we relate, and it's not like there's a cookie-cutter approach. How do you preach the gospel in your setting? I'm going to share with you a couple of scriptures that speak very specifically to that problem. And what some of you are going to find is you're doing better than you realize, And even if you don't find that to be the case, I think you'll see that you can speak for Christ in this evil day. You can. And in fact, we must if we're going to do warfare. So we're going to get there. But first, I need to say a couple of words about the gospel itself. Because you could ask the question, what is the gospel? And there are lots of ways to summarize. In some ways, I want to say the gospel is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That pretty much sums it up. But on the other hand, I could say, read the whole New Testament. You've got the gospel there. There are lots of ways we can talk about the gospel. But the word itself is a translation of a Greek word, euangelion. Euangelion was used of an announcement of such some wonderful event that brings great joy. So, for example, it would be used by a messenger who came from the field of battle to announce to the city that their general who had been in combat had won a great victory. The people hear this good news and they celebrate. They they see a new way forward in their lives. They're no longer full of fear. They start making new plans. There is a joy that fills their hearts because a great victory has been won. That message is gospel, euangelion, that comes to them. So when the New Testament picks up this word and uses it for the message of Jesus Christ and what he's done, it is an announcement of good news, of something God has accomplished on our behalf. Specifically, he's accomplished salvation. Jesus came and through his crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, he has defeated sin and death. He has poured out the Holy Spirit. And the message is, the power of God is available to change your life. The message is, no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, 
There's a future for you in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, the good news, the euangelion. That's the message that fills with great joy and it gives hope. Paul said that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes. Believing is simple. It's simply accepting the truth of this gospel and then staking your life on it. That's what it means to believe. And this gospel, this gospel is the power of God that brings salvation. So no one has to be bound by sin. No one has to be in despair over the past or over the future. No one has to live in darkness. They can live in the light of life. That's the good news. And folks, that's what we have to proclaim. We don't preach righteousness in the sense of moralistic rules. We don't, we don't criticize and harangue people because they don't live as God wants them to live. We talked about the breastplate of righteousness. As I said a minute ago, you don't take it off and smack people with it. You know that people laying a lot of condemnation on you has never, ever, ever helped you. Is that right? It doesn't help you. What we speak in the midst of this war is the gospel of peace, a message to people that yes, yes, there is such a thing as sin and you're a sinner just like me, but the good news, the euangelion, this announcement that God has effected salvation, that gives hope to everyone and you can have hope. So what we want to do is to convey that to people. If you wanna push back against darkness, don't turn dark and ugly yourself, proclaim the gospel. Now that's where we get uncomfortable. How do you proclaim the gospel? We, we don't quite know how to get into it. We don't know exactly what to say. I remember being in that place many, many years ago. I was actually pastoring a church, but I wanted to win people to Christ. And, and I'm praying, God, show me what to do. <laughs> well, I latch on to this program that, you know, most of you have probably not heard of. If you have heard of it, you're old like me. It was called Evangelism Explosion. How many of you have heard of Evangelism Explosion? Oh, quite a few of you. Ah, you're showing your age. Evangelism Explosion. Now, I'm not, I'm not criticizing Evangelism Explosion. I think God has used it in many great ways, but I'm just gonna tell you my experience. My experience was they've got this whole script of everything you're supposed to say. They coach you on how you can get into a conversation with people, and then they coach you with a script from beginning to end how to lead them to actually pray to receive Jesus Christ. And then they have lots of additional materials that you can use if people ask questions or they have objections so that you're armed and dangerous. Now, I'm, I memorized this whole script. I mean, I had it down. I could say it in my sleep. And I thought, okay, this is gonna work now. Who is my first victim? I mean, I mean prospect. <laughs> well, you know, I tried several things, but then finally I thought, you know what? 
here's our churches right here. There are houses around there. Let me just go to the houses. And this is quite a while ago. People weren't friendly to you knocking on their doors then, but it was, wasn't as bad as it is today. You knock on the door now, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. But I went, and I went knocking on doors. So one guy opens the door, and I introduced myself and, and, you know, told him why I was there. And he said, well, you can come in if you promise me one thing. What's that? When, you, when I ask you to leave, you'll leave. <laughs> uh, that I thought, yeah, you've, you've seen some door-to-door evangelists, haven't you? <laughs> So, so I go in, sit down. We have a little bit of small talk. There's somebody with me. I can't remember who it was, but I, I brought somebody with me. And so we have a little conversation going on. Then I saw my opening. I used my technique to open up my script and my sales talk. And I no sooner started than he goes, wait, wait, wait. I've heard a sales talk before. This is a sales talk. And I go, oh, well, start. You know, I couldn't exactly deny it. I was busted. That's exactly what it was. So I tried to kind of limp through my major points without sounding too bad. And I, I left with my tail between my legs thinking, you know, this really doesn't come off very well. If this good news is just a sales talk, now, I'm, I won't say that, that it was completely without merit. I found that what I learned through the whole training process actually was there with me. So sometimes in conversations, I'd be able to take little bits and pieces and bring it. That was good. That was good. But that was the last time I tried to go through the script. Now, the reason a lot of people don't want to share the gospel, don't know how to share the gospel, is they think that's what you've got to do. And if that's what you've got to do, almost nobody here is going to do it. And it's not because you don't love Jesus. It's not because you don't want to share the gospel. It's because you've got some sense of what socially appropriate means. Right? That was actually supposed to be kind of funny. (laughs) I mean, you do. I mean, you've got some sense of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And it's really not appropriate in any kind of genuine conversation for you to just launch into a sales talk, right? Maybe you've got a friend who has done that to you and you really didn't appreciate it and you couldn't wait to get rid of them. So you don't want to share the gospel because you think that's what it is, but that's actually not what's involved. So in Colossians, Paul speaks to sharing the gospel. Look what he says in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. He says this, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt, so that you may know, may know how to answer everyone. You see the Greek word apokrinomai there. That's not real significant until I get to the next passage. And so I'll just leave that aside. But he says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is an interesting passage because what it suggests is that 
the way we engage people, first of all, is to be in an answering mode. We're in conversation, and we are ready for opportunities to bear witness. We're not playing games. We're not trying to go through a script. We make the most of every opportunity. And it's the Lord that opens up the opportunity to sow a seed. And that's really what we're talking about is sowing a seed. You're not going to be able to share the whole gospel in one sitting in most situations. If somebody comes to you and says, would you please give me the plan of salvation? Then you can let them have the whole story. But generally that's not the case. Rather, there will be an opportunity in the conversation to put in some small word for Jesus Christ. Some small word that says something of good news to that person. You are to do it with wisdom, with grace. Your word should be seasoned with salt. What does that mean? Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Everybody who comments on this verse says something different. What I do know is if you serve food without salt, it generally is tasteless. And so we put salt on it to improve the taste. And I think there's something of that working here, that when you're in this conversation, you are speaking in a pleasing way. There's a real, lively, meaningful conversation going on. There is real give and take. And as you're answering the other person's comments and you're going back and forth, there are opportunities that come for you to share something. If, if you don't see those opportunities, you pray and you say, God, show me, open the door, give me an opportunity to bear witness for you. And he will. You might think of it this way, not evangelism explosion witnessing script, but iPhone. You know that iPhone that's in your pocket right now that, that some of you are trying to ignore, but you're so habituated to look at it every two and a half minutes that you're thinking, oh, I really want to look. That iPhone. So it's inert, seemingly. It doesn't seem to be doing anything. It doesn't seem to even be on. The screen, the screen is blank. And then somebody sends a text or somebody calls and it immediately lights up because it's in answering mode, right? So that's how we live our lives or should live our lives. We're, we're following Jesus and we're ready. When the Lord gives us an opportunity in a way that is wise and gracious, not harsh and critical, but wise and gracious, we share a word for Jesus Christ. We respond. The problem for some people is they have their iPhones in airplane mode and the opportunities are there and they don't even see them because they're not looking for them. That's where our responsibility is. We need to pray, God, grant me opportunities to speak for you and then be ready. And when the Lord opens it up, just step through. What do you say? You say whatever you have to say in just an authentic, friendly conversation. That's what you say. But just like I had that evangelism explosion talk down so in various conversations I could actually bring things out, you have the gospel. 
You know about Jesus Christ, what he has done, what he does for people who turn to him in faith. Knowing all of that, you speak what's relevant in that conversation. It's that simple. You want to go to war? You want to take a stand in this evil day? You want to push back against spiritual forces that would oppose God? Then have your feet shod with the readiness to preach the gospel of peace. Now you say, well, you know, but this is a, this is a, this is a dark day. I mean, people, people don't want to hear it. There's all this hostility to Christianity. And if I speak, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what kind of pushback I'm going to get. There could be some fear that's involved there. But listen, that's not new. The first century church faced this too. In fact, they faced far worse than we do. And this same basic approach works even when you're in a hostile environment. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, listen to what it says there. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now here, next to the word answer is the Greek apologia. This is what's significant. In Colossians, Paul talks about an answer, and he just uses a word that has to do with conversation. Apologia, though, means strictly defense. We sometimes use the term apologetics for when someone is defending the Christian faith against critics. And here, Peter's saying, you might be in a hostile setting, but you need to be ready to defend your faith when you're, when you're asked for the reason that you have hope. And the way you do that, we'll come back to the, the manner in which you do it, but, but the way you do that is really very, very simple. You are a reasonable person. You are a thoughtful person. You are learning the scriptures. You are walking with Christ. When you confront life, you, you seek to understand it in Christian terms. So as a thoughtful, reasonable person, when you're asked for the reason, you give it. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to have all the answers, but you can give your reason. And you can, you can justify it. If somebody challenges you, you can defend it. Now, you might say, well, I don't know if I can defend it. Well, you can't, you don't know everything. I mean, there'd be questions that you might not be able to answer. But in your context, you can think through the issues and you can give a meaningful answer. So the church helps here. So last year, Dr. Bob Marks sitting right here in the front, almost in the front row, and Will McCarroll teamed up and taught a class on Christian apologetics digging into a lot of issues that people raise against the Christian faith. You know what? If you don't feel like you can answer 
You can defend your faith. If it's challenged, then how about taking class like that? I think, I think another one's going to be offered this next year on Wednesday night. So here, you are defending your faith in a hostile setting. But again, notice how you're in answering mode. You're not going around just hitting people with sermons. You are responding to what comes your way. Somebody says, I don't understand how you can believe all that. I mean, how in the world can you believe that Jesus Christ is the way to God? There are lots of different religions. Now, you may not feel like you've got a perfect answer to that one. That's a tough question. But you respond to it. And how do you do it? Here's what it says. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Speak with gentleness and respect. You give an answer, and because you're a thoughtful person who's learning about your faith, learning Scripture, you're going to give a reasonable answer. You will. It may not be a perfect answer. It may not be a complete answer, but you're going to give a reasonable answer. You will display that you are a thoughtful person who's follower of Jesus Christ. And if you do it with gentleness and respect, then your very mode, your, your, your manner will bring shame to those who want to mock or those who might attack you or criticize. Do you see that? It's really that simple. So you don't have to be an evangelist or a preacher or some you know, super salesman going out there for Jesus. You just have to be in answering mode, ready for when God gives you an opportunity and then you plant a seed. And know that when you plant that seed, that gospel seed, when you share good news and you, you encourage people that there's hope for them and hope for everyone, when you do that, you are fighting against spiritual forces that are set against God. You are engaged in spiritual warfare. The gospel of peace, you're preaching that, and yet that is spiritual warfare. If we're going to be, take a full armor of God, and we're going to take our stand, and we're going to fight in this day, we have to speak. And what we speak needs to be gospel, gospel graciously spoken gospel. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that there is a gospel that saves. And it's a gospel that gives hope and joy to everyone who believes. And Lord, in this dark day, we know that we have a light to shine. We know we have a message to deliver. And we pray that you would help us to be ever vigilant, ready for every opportunity to speak on your behalf. Lord, we know that we don't engage in battle. We're not part of the, of the warfare if we don't preach the gospel of peace. And so we ask you to guide us in that now and help us to do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.